So glad that you joined us together today. I wanted to begin by saying thank you. Um, it is incredible for me to think about the fact that I've had the privilege of serving as the, the lead pastor, senior pastor here for the last two years. And uh, through those two years of experience, oh, I wasn't saying that to clap. Stop it. Uh, but what I wanted to say is that I'm just so honored to be able to interact with my peers who are leading churches in our area. And for many of them, these last two years have been incredibly difficult. And I wanted to just celebrate one thing we're really excited about. And I like rejoiced in my car when I heard the announcement that June 2nd, we're going to be doing, did somebody say like, yes, amen. We're, we're going to do away with masks as far as, now somebody has asked, can we keep wearing them? We'll let you wear them if you want. Some of you are like, oh, they're off now. All right, that's great. So I wanted to say sincerely, thank you that I recognize when I interact with my friends that are leading churches that that topic has been incredibly difficult and complicated. It's even been divisive in some church settings. And I just want to honor you. I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. And I also want to say, when we look back on the year, we're about halfway through the year as a church and a budget year. And to be able to be almost right on budget, we're off by a few, like $10,000. It's such an encouragement that you've given sacrificially and uh, faithfully. And I'm praying as we look towards the end of this year that the Lord continues to use us, that we'd attend a service and serve a service and we'd see the Lord continue to do great things at Hope Church. Are you with me? Do you guys agree with me on that? Well, I'm excited to see what the Lord's going to do going forward here within our church family. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse as we're going through our series. We're going to look at a lot of verses today, but one we're going to kind of hang our hat on today is a passage of scripture that's really, really encouraging to me. And I hope that when you leave here today, you'll be encouraged about knowing where you're headed. And I love this story. Billy Graham told this story uh, many years ago, and he was talking about, our, um, about Albert Einstein. Now, some of you are familiar with Einstein. He obviously was the German-born physicist who developed the special and general theories of relativity, won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1921, was the person of the century, with time, time, life, an incredible man. Well, he was on a train and the conductor came to collect his ticket. And when he came up to, to Albert, he, um, he recognized him almost instantly. And Albert starts to look for his ticket and he can't find it. He's looking all over and he's getting frustrated. And um, the, the, the conductor is collecting the ticket says, hey, it's okay. I know who you are. I'm sure that you'd have a ticket. And so um, don't worry about it. And, and he leaves and went on. And then a, a while later, he comes back and he sees Einstein on his hands and knees looking to try to find this ticket. And so he, he taps him on the shoulder, Mr. Einstein, you, you do not need to, to worry about this. We trust you. We know where you're going. We, we trust you. And, and, and Einstein looks up at him and he says, well, I'm looking for it because I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> I think that's great. He needed to find the ticket to figure out where he was going, right? You know, for, for most of us in this room, this question of where we're going, especially the question of eternity, is a question that's really significant for us. The question of where we're going to spend eternity is one that forces us to ask some incredibly difficult 
questions in our life. And for some of us, it's very discouraging. And I hope that as we study God's word together today, that this simple truth, this simple reality will be emphasized for you in such a way that you recognize that it's not God's design for you to live in constant fear. Like the, the person who is in the game, the deal or no deal, where they open up the suitcase, what's inside? Do we have to wait until we stand before the judgment seat of the Lord to figure out if we're in or we're out or what? No, actually, I want you to understand the simple truth that will weave through the message this morning, and that is it is possible to know where we're going. And I would say to you, brothers and sisters, friends, that that is a wonderful thing. And that's an incredibly encouraging thing in my life to understand what it means to entrust my eternal security into the hands of the God of the universe. This verse in 1 John chapter 5.13 is so profound to me. And, and as we look at this verse this morning, I just want to remind you of God's affirmation to each one of us that are believers. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That last sentence is incredible to me. That you may know. I'll just remind you that this isn't based on that you may feel. So feelings are kind of lousy when it comes to being able to depend on. I'll be honest, I didn't feel like getting out of bed this morning. Anyone relate to that? That there's decisions that I make in my life that, that, make, that, that are not based alone on how I feel, but instead they're based upon what I know is right. What is, so somebody said this well. They said that emotions make lousy engines that drive the trains of our lives, but they make a good caboose, right? This isn't how you feel about your salvation, but instead what we understand is the promise from God's word is that you and I can be confident about the question of where we're going to go when we die. This question is one that for some of us, I understand as you walked in that it's a burden for you. you there's a source of discouragement and fear then I'm guessing for some of you, you may have read a book or, or, or studied a passage of scripture, had someone teach you. I know stories very specifically of people in this room that have had people who've not only wrestled with their salvation, but I've led them to kind of go in a tailspin wrestling with, am I saved? Do I understand what it means to have a personal relationship with Christ? Can I really understand what that means? And I, I want to talk with you this morning about assurance the gift of assurance and what it means for us when it comes to understanding this phrase that you may know that you have eternal life. You, if you know this truth, it changes a lot of things. For those of us who know this, it allows us to understand God's person, his character, his work, his, his handiwork, and especially the reality of life and death from a beautifully different perspective, right? It allows us to have hope and anticipate that reality in a different way. In this room, there's people who've received very difficult diagnoses where they've been told that they are facing something very difficult that's right on the horizon. And what's so powerful for me is individuals that have filled my life that have been people who've been willing to say, you know what? I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know the God who holds me through tomorrow, right? And so when we talk about this, I'll just say to you very simply that not knowing is a lousy way to live your life. For those of you who don't know, 
that you can kind of live in those what ifs, that it can really be lethal for you and I. I think for some of us, we look back and we say, well, what if I prayed the wrong prayer? Or what if, what if I can't remember that day in history when I prayed that prayer? Or what was the date? So, you know, we have new members uh, that are joining Hope Church. It's really cool. And we ask them to fill out their testimony. And I think some people dread filling out their testimony because they look back and they say, well, I don't remember what, what day it was or the, that moment in history that can be discouraging. Maybe there was a teaching, a book, a preacher, a priest that looked at you. And, and even for some of you, you've wrestled with this, this biblical concept. What is the unpardonable sin? Have I committed it? Am I a person who, let's go further, I'm, I, I'm still tempted to do bad things. Does that mean that it didn't take for me? Or what if I like to do bad things? For some of us in the room, those are those questions. And not knowing, I'll just tell you, is a lousy way to live. But knowing with assurance that you have eternal life, what happens when we do that is that we, through knowing, can have certainty. And that changes the way we live our Christian life. Death loses its sting. You have reason to share the hope that you hold dear. Isn't that a great phrase? Like when, when you talk about the gospel, we want to have a reason for, to share the hope that we hold dear. You can be covered by assurance that comes from, more from knowing him than even knowing yourself. There, there are some sad unintended consequences, unfortunately, for those of us who don't know. It can destroy your prayer life. Think about this. If you're insecure about your relationship with Christ, why would you ever want to talk to him? It can destroy your desire to share the gospel. If you're not sure it is real in your own life, why would you ever worship? What, why would you listen to sermons? They just make you feel bad. And, and worst of all, what I think happens in the midst of that process is that it tarnishes your view of God. He becomes the lottery ticket that you fear that you've lost. You guys heard those stories of somebody who was a winner, but then, oh, did I, I can't find this thing. You can just feel he becomes the grim reaper, the abusive parent, the confidence killer. That is so different than the God that I serve. I, I, I can remember times in my life, I hinted at this here, where I've sat across from people who were dying. And instead of living in this moment of just anxiety and fear, what they were able to do is to declare boldly, I get to see Jesus. In other words, he's a promise-keeping God. I trust him. I trust him with the most important things about my life. And I just want to remind you, this verse that says that you may know is that every person who walked into the door today can have that kind of assurance. And I want you to understand what we know about the God of the universe. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This is an awesome passage of scripture. Hebrews chapter 10, 19, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. This image is powerful. Do you guys remember at the point where Jesus died on the cross that there was the, this temple curtain that they say was as thick as a person's hand that was rendered in two and that curtain represented the separation that man had from a holy God, that it was a distinction that required sacrifice to go through 
through it. And that temple curtain tore from the top to the bottom, reminding us that we now have access through the blood of Christ for our living hope. And it says this, that though that curtain that is through his flesh, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, verse 21, and since we have a high great priest, over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart. This is so good. With full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is not deal or no deal. This is not, did I make a mistake? This is not, am I, am, did I, am I, am I in or out? But this is full assurance of faith. I'll also remind you that, that part of the church thing that we go through together, we talked about this last week briefly, and as we study God's word together, as we go through this series of discovery, that this isn't just intended for it to be your own discovery, but we do this together in community. I love this. Verse 23, it goes on to say this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what that's saying? It's not just, hey, you need to go to church. It's actually saying we get to do this thing of understanding assurance together in community that we get to learn from each other, we get to grow together, we get to study God's word together. And in that process, what ends up happening is we can grow in our ability to understand and to know where we're going. And like I said before, that is a wonderful thing. You know, I wanna remind you this morning that you can grow in your capacity to know. In that first passage of scripture that I put on the screen in 1 John, it, that statement, that you may know, is an encouragement to me. It's something we need to pursue. It's something that we need to, to, to focus on, to take seriously. In 2 Peter, it talks about making sure your calling and election is sure. And so as we continue through our Discover series, how do we unpack the truth of God's word for ourselves? We've talked about a method where we make good biblical observation, we study the text, we put it in its context, and then we interpret it accurately, and then we work to apply that truth in our lives. This is the ultimate application of the truth of God's word. And what it means is that we allow ourselves to understand the second point this morning. And that is for those who have been set free, they are free indeed. Isn't that incredible? For those who've been set free, they are free indeed. And, and part of the, the, the thrust of this sermon is to say, we need to act like it. We need to recognize that we've been bought with a price. We've been set free. The, these wonderful passages of scripture, like in Romans where it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This description, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What an incredible statement. In verse 28 here, it says, it says this, this simple truth. I love this truth. I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Isn't that a great truth? 
Um, it's fun for me this morning. My dad is here and uh, he's, he's visiting with my mom. Welcome, you guys. Um, and uh, when, when um, we were boys growing up, we went to a Cincinnati Reds game together. I believe it was a Reds game. Uh, dad can correct me on this. But my brother Chad, who's um, a little bit younger th- or a little bit older than me, my brother Chad decided that it would be fun to try to pick my dad's pocket. All right, don't ask me why. I don't know. Do you know why? Do you have any guess? We don't even know. But he, he thought it would be fun. And uh, my dad wears this big ring that he has. And so Chad comes up behind him and, and gets a hold of the wallet. And, and my dad takes that, that mighty right hand and he whips that thing back and just split Chad's hand open. There was blood. It was awesome. Uh, and uh, I think Chad would never try to do this again. Is that fair? Um, but uh, I've always thought of my dad's mighty right hand, you know? And, and I want to take this to a step further than this, that, that the God of the universe, this description, is talking about the way that we can find hope in our eternal security is because of his strength. It's because he's a promise-keeping God. It's because he says things to us like, as far as the east is from the west, so my transgressions are before the eyes of the Lord. And so for some of us that we, we, when we walked in today and we have an ounce of discouragement or fear, does God, is God going to reject me? I want to just remind you that his salvation that he's offered you has never been based upon you earning it. It has never been because you are so great that he goes, all right, let's go, you know. But instead, it's been based on his grace that is sufficient for you and his power that's made perfect in your weakness. So resisting assurance in some ways diminishes the strength and authority that his mighty right hand can hold. Do you get that? And so when we talk about this, it's so essential that we understand that this belief and assurance is understanding that we're understanding the very character of the God of the universe. That's really encouraging to me. I love that John, the, the author of 1 John, that verse, he gives us an incredible book. His epistle is full of ways. He tells us at the end of his book that you might know that this testimony is true. And in fact, John doesn't use parables in his gospel, but instead what he does is he gives these, these constant assurances. And we know John 3, it contains John three sixteen, this incredible truth for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish and have, but have everlasting life. And in the context of that, you have a man named Nicodemus who's talking to Jesus. What does it mean for me to be born again, to be changed from what, what I was to what I am, to be born of spirit And and this incredible discussion allows us, John says this over and over again, that we may know, that we may believe. And so he's given us what we need to understand this truth, that we may know. But I I have to to be honest, this message this morning is one that we have to be aware of. This this sermon's been very influenced by a powerful message in a book written by Dr. David Jeremiah. He's a a Bible teacher in Southern California, a wonderful man. And uh, Dr. Jeremiah says this about this topic in a book that he wrote called 10 Questions That Christians Are Asking. He says, he warns us that this is like a double-edged sword. That for those of us who are believers, for saved people, this kind of a message can assure us. It can remind us of who we are and it can affirm us. But for some people who are faking it, it can cut us with the other side of that sword. 
And it's intended to challenge us to ask ourselves this question. So I'll remind you of this. The two behavior actions that I'm going to challenge you in this morning is the first question is, what do you believe? Have you believed in Christ? And the second one is, has it had an impact on your behavior? What do you believe and has it impacted your behavior? Our understanding of the gospel is that those two things are a part of a person who understands the truth of the gospel. Now, we understand that belief, or in this context, confessing, is how we declare what we believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. Confessing or declaring is powerful. In Romans 10, 9, it says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's a great passage of scripture. What it's saying there, though, is I want to remind you of this. When we say Jesus Christ, that's not his first and last name. But the declaration of Christ is that we're saying that he is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the, from the Father, but comes to the Father, but from him. And so this is not build a bear or build a faith where we go through and pick and choose what bits and pieces of our faith that we like. But for us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it means that we're saying that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That we believe him to be the promised one that was going to come to be the perfect lamb of God. I'm so fired up about this. This is awesome. The, the, the perfect lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so when we talk about this message, the belief part, and some of you really need to wrestle with this. Some of you are old enough that, I'll just remind you, God doesn't have spiritual grandchildren. It's not how it works. I think Jeremiah speaks about this. He's, we, we sometimes think, you know, grandma and grandpa, they're really smart and they believed this. And so, or, or we say, because I'm American, that I have to be Christian. And I just want you to know that that's a lie. You understand that that's a lie, Right. Just because I'm American does not make me a Christian. But instead, what makes me a Christian is that I'm a person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's the Messiah. So the two guys on the cross with Jesus, when he's crucified, one of them refused to believe. He mocked Jesus. And then the other man spoke to Jesus in such a way. Do you remember what Jesus said to him? He said, surely this day you will be with me in paradise. He didn't have to get baptized. He didn't have to fix everything in his life. Some of you confuse the behavior with belief in the order that it comes in. And it's really important for us to understand behavior is a result of belief, but we have to get the belief part first. And there's an awful lot of individuals in the world that we live in that want to question Jesus being the Messiah. Is he a promise-keeping God? Can you take him at his word? Does he really love us? And you know who's doing that? I think it's Satan. The devil's doing that all the time. I think the world is doing that around us. Our flesh is doing we. These are temptations around us to question who we believe. But I'll remind you, this, this principle, this concept of being forgiven by a God that loves us is one that we can confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. We can believe. 1 John 5, 1 says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of him. You understand that that confession part is something that is essential. If you haven't done it, this is a great day to do it. If you haven't taken the time to understand what it means to trust God in this stage in your life, this idea of being saved is one that's God's idea. 
And it just requires us to accept it. The second essential aspect of our salvation is change. And when I say change, I'll ask the question, is your life any different now that you've become a Christ follower? Now that you've made a confession of faith? I love this phrase in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So this is an if-then statement. If he is in Christ, then he is a new creation. It's not he might be a new creation. It is a you-can-take-it-to-the-bank statement. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Uh, David Jeremiah says it this way. He says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Isn't that a great phrase? And so, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Titus 3.8 puts it this way. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. So some of you are listening to this and you're saying, wait a second, Sean, are you saying that you're saved by your works? Of course not. Uh, Our works are never sufficient for our salvation, that God's salvation is based on grace. But the person who's received Christ, that there's going to be evidence of that. Matthew 13 talks about the parable of the soils and it talks about the true believer being a person who produces a crop. It says 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. The other two that seem to have accepted Christ are people who it's, it describes them this way. It says, the deceitfulness of wealth and the weariness of life choke it out. The other one is the person who has no root. And so when the sun comes, it chokes it out. Those are descriptions of people. The other one is atheist agnostic. People who say, I want nothing to do with God. It's important for us to remember, if we're a Christ follower, we're going to produce a crop 30, 60 a hundred times what's sown. I, I love the story of, that, of a woman I met at a nursing home visiting my grandfather who had received a terminal cancer diagnosis. And it wasn't just that she um, was seeking prayer for, for healing. I, I prayed for healing. I wept with her. Uh, and, that, and that cancer diagnosis was so very difficult. But the moment that she looked in my eyes and she said to me, Sean, don't you understand? I get to see Jesus that, that that statement said to me that she believed. She understood that God has the keys of sin and death and life and future. But, but what's so important for us is from belief, we have to be people who have evidence of that show up in our life. Changes should take place. I want to focus in on a few that are pretty convicting. So if you don't want to be convicted, you can just tune out right now, all right? So, so the first one, and this one's really important today. We need to hear this is that, is that the truth of the gospel ought to change the way you and I treat other people. And, and for some reason today, we've forgotten how valuable people are. We've forgotten how precious people are, that they're image bearers of the living God. And the way that this is described in God's word, it's, it's powerful, it's convicting, but it says this in 1 John 4, 8, 11. It says this, anyone who does not love does not know God. Look at that phrase. Anyone, because God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the propitiation, the, the legal payment for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. By this shall all men know that you're mine by your love for one another. Hey, Look around. People don't love each other very much these days. Look around in this room and let me just remind you that, that God has, has said to us and the, as a part of the, the Christian family that we treat each other like brothers and sisters. Maybe, maybe you don't treat your brothers and sisters very well, but the description there is to say we love each other. So a mark of a believer, a mark of a person whose life has been changed is one who understands what it means to care for and love one another as a part of the, the, the family of God. I love the way that, that Harry Ironside, Ironside the, the great theologian and teacher, um, was, was asked about the church. And, um, you know, somebody was frustrated with church. Have you guys noticed that sometimes in church land that there's some weird people in church? Don't point. That's rude. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, um, Ironside had a young man come up to him and he said, said some version of, Dr. Ironside, why are there so many weird people in church? And, and he looked up at him and he said, son, where there is light, there is bugs. <laughs> I think that's great. Son, where there's light, there's bugs. Um, you know that that concept of recognizing how to love one another, it's hard to love one another these days. It's difficult. I don't, I don't want to pretend that. But I believe that it's a mark of a person who understands God's loving kindness. It's the reason why Peter, when, when he's talking to the Lord Jesus Christ about forgiveness, he is told that you ought to forgive others like I have forgiven you. 70 times 7 is the description. So it should change the way that we believe. It should also change the way we believe, behave. A second mark of the gospel permeating our lives is it should change how we experience sin in our lives. I think this is important. 1 John 3, 4, the context of the first verse that I read to you this morning says this. It says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Now this statement is important and why this is a part of our Discover series is he's making a pretty heavy statement. And for some of us, we read this and we say, wait a second, when I became a Christ follower, there are still temptations in my life. In fact, there's still layers. I'll, I'll speak to my own life that there's layers in my own life that discourage me because there's things that I still wrestle with. And if I have victory in some areas of sin in my life, what I've often found is there's other areas of my life that show up that I realize I need to work on. It's like weeds in my garden, right? You get through one side and by the time you make it around, there's new that are there. It's, it requires constant maintenance. And what's beautiful about it is we don't have to do it alone. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's job partially is to help us to become holy, set apart, different, distinct. But this threat or this challenge, this passage of scripture is not just intended to scare us, but in its context, what it, we have to remember is that, is that every person wrestles with sin in their life. James 3.2 says this, we stumble in many ways. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But you know, what's beautiful about that is it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's important for us to understand when we wrestle with sin that the key with this, whether it's sins of omission, sins of commission, willful rebellion against God, all of those things that are p- potential things in our life, that, that the way that this, this verse is written here, it talks about practicing sin. In, in Greek, that phrase is a, a conscious, continuous action. And, and so when we talk about understanding sin in our life, as Christ followers, we are told that we are no longer a slave to sin. But what that doesn't mean is that we don't have temptation anymore, struggle or fail. Or the, the Apostle Paul talks about the good things that he wishes that he does, did do and the bad things that he wishes that he didn't do. And, and he talks about this sanctification process that we, we wrestle with it. But, but friends, I want to make sure that you catch this, that when we're believers, it ought to change the way we respond to sin. And if we grow comfortable with it, if we allow it to just become a part of the fabric of our lives, what we've allowed ourselves to do is to become sin tolerant. Do you guys, some of you in the room are lactose intolerant. You avoid it like the plague, right? You, you look at the recipes and you, you pay attention because you don't want to have to deal with the consequences of it. As a Christ follower, there's no promise that sin is eradicated. Some people talk about this, like I came to Christ and I never had a temptation again in a particular area. That person will have other temptations in other areas. It's the, the reality of being a human. This side of eternity, we will always have temptation. That's disappointing to some of us in the room. But the reality is, is that we have victory over sin. But for the person who's become tolerant of it, what they could find themselves doing is to allow themselves to put the mask on of Christianity, to allow themselves to practice sin and to justify it because of God's grace. You know what the Lord says about that or the Apostle Paul says about that? Is the person who says, hey, I've got fire insurance because I'm a Christian. I, I don't have to worry about how I live. I can live, live uh, like hell in the world because it doesn't matter because God's forgiven me. I remind you, he says that that would be like us taking Jesus and putting him back on the cross again. It's exactly the opposite of what a person who's believed in him would do. So, so in the midst of this, what I would say to you is there should not be in your life comfort from sin, that you should be sensitive to things that go against the, the character and heart of God. When we say your word have I hid my heart that I might not sin against you, that we're deliberately choosing to be a slave to righteousness, not a slave to sin. This is not salvation by works. I'll remind you, Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 is very clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I remember at, at Cedarville, um, a, a man who spoke there in the college that I attended, his name was Joe, Joe, Joe Stoll. 
Um, some of you know that name, Joe Stoll. He was the president of Moody Bible College for a while. And, and Joel's opening illustration that he used when he came to speak in the Cedarville chap uh, Chapel was that he had been kicked out of Cedarville. He said, I'm guessing I'm one of the few people that have, have come back after they've been kicked out of Cedarville. And he went on to tell the story about the, the fact that he was in his dorm room and he was playing with a firecracker and had thrown it at somebody. It landed in the toilet, blew up the toilet, and it flooded. And it happened to be that his dorm room was above the bookstore at the, at the school. So thousands of books were destroyed. It was a tragedy. But, but there was something powerful for me listening to him say that. One, I don't know about you, but for some of us, we've done far less worse things than that. And we've just decided that we're going to give up. Like we, we get, like, I'm never going back. I got kicked out. I, I love that he came in with a redemptive story of saying, hey, I got kicked out. They let me back in. I graduated and I went on to be a professor, uh, the president of a, an incredible university in, in Chicago. How cool is that? But, but I, I look at each of our stories and I think that it's important for us to just recognize you've got your own version of that in your life. And if you're comfortable with it, or if you're justifying it, or if you think you're getting away with it, or you've even stopped fighting it, it's time for that double-edged sword to ask us the question, what is happening in my life? Have I allowed myself to confuse the gospel? John 15 talks about fruit, that there's always going to be evidence of fruit in our lives. This is not eradication of sin. We're always going to wrestle with sin as long as we're on this side of eternity. And we're going to battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Um, and I think that it's appropriate to say guilt is a little different than shame. And at times when we sin, there's, a, there's an appropriateness of seeing the Holy Spirit work in our lives to say, hey, you need to avoid that in the future. That's destroying you. But if you are committed to doing things your way or dealing with the consequences test, oh, the, I didn't get caught, I didn't have to deal with consequences, I think that's a dangerous one. Third one might surprise you as a mark of the gospel in your life. And that is, am I fitting into the world? Uh, this is very uh, significant to me right now. When we look around in the world that we live in, one of the descriptions that we have of who we are as Christ followers is that we are called to be strangers and aliens in the world around us. We are called not to conform to the pattern of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this goes beyond just attending church. No offense, you're doing a great job. Glad you're here. But beyond attending church, this means that our life is impacted by our faith. And it, it ought to lead us to be people who are distinguishable from the culture that we live in. The decisions that we make don't always make sense. And so if you are conforming into the pattern of this world, if you are stuck in that same cycle as everyone else, it ought to distinguish us um, as, a, as a Christ follower. In other words, we ought to be people who are swimming upstream in a world around us that doesn't always agree with the same things that we agree with. It doesn't fit our convictions. It allows us to be people who go against the flow. This is not just what kind of television channel you watch, what you read, what your view is on face masks or whatever it is. It's it's recognizing that we are people who are called to be salt and light in a dark world. And that's really significant for us. The third point this morning is that knowing the gospel should change everything. That knowing the gospel ought to change our lives. It ought to change our circumstances. It ought to change how we approach 
our circumstances every day. And so uh, there's, there's three specific application challenges that I want to give you this morning that I hope will be helpful. Some of you made a, a declaration of faith when you were very young. And when you declared that declaration, you have looked back on that and you've said, I wonder if that took. I, I wonder if I was sincere. I wonder if I prayed the gospel. For some of you, maybe you were baptized as an infant and you look back on that and there's a question for you. And I just want to remind you that it is appropriate if you had a, a pre-conversion child experience or something that had happened many years ago, that, that it's appropriate for us to cry out to the Lord and to just say, Lord, I don't know uh, if, I, if I was saved when I prayed that prayer so many years ago, but, but I want you to reveal yourself to me. I want to place my faith and trust in you today. I want to be all in. And some of you might be hearing that as me saying, I think you need to uh, keep praying to accept Christ. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, I love this statement, and I think it's a powerful quote, um, that we can preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Jerry Bridges says this. And, and the point behind this, this is very helpful for me in the process of sanctification, is if I remember that the gospel, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that I need to accept the simple truth of the gospel, that that truth is something that reminds me, I never earned it from the start. I, I need to be dependent upon him, that his gospel is sufficient for me. His power is made perfect in my, in my weakness. When I declare that, when I understand that, you know what happens is it moves me beyond an emotional, remember they make good cabooses, an emotional response to a desperate dependence response that reminds me who I am, who he is, and his work that he's doing in my life. So it's really appropriate for you to pray that kind of prayer again. Lord, I want to be sure. I want to understand what work you want to do in my life. A second way that the gospel ought to change everything is to, to look at your own life and to ask yourself the question, am I getting hung up on an area of sin in my past that I don't feel God could forgive me for. I think that's very common, whether it was a painful abortion, a past experience, adultery. Uh, I remember a man, not in Ohio, but in a different state that we served in, he just, he was felt so guilty that he could, he was shaking. He just felt such a sense of guilt. And I, and I couldn't help but think that that recognition of sin, um, it can be, put up against the understanding of the gospel that he says to us, as far as the east is from the west, so our transgressions are before the eyes of the Lord, that he can forgive us. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like we said before, for those who've been set free, they're free indeed. But for some of us, maybe in this room, we stand back and we ask ourselves the question, did I mess up so bad that God would choose not to forgive me? And I just want you to understand that cuts against the very character of God. It, it cuts against our understanding of how sufficient his grace is, right? It cuts against our understanding of his knowledge of us. So he's not fooled by us. He knows us perfectly and his grace is sufficient for us. So I love this in 1 John 5, 13. I'll go back to where we started. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. What a great phrase, right? 
And as we come to the conclusion of this message, I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward. And I, I want to remind you that it's appropriate for us to live like we've been forgiven and that we've been set free. I believe that if you do this, if you understand this and you allow it to not just impact your beliefs, but your behavior, what you'll do is you'll, you'll be smarter than Albert Einstein, right? You'll know where you're going. You know where you're headed. And in that process, what you can do is humbly before the Lord, place that into his hands. And I'll tell you, his hand is a mighty right hand, isn't it? That his grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in our weakness. This is an incredible song that we're going to sing together to close out this message. And I want to make space for you as the worship team leads us that, that it might be one of those times, um, the altar's open here. You can pray where you're at. It doesn't matter where you pray, but I just want to encourage you to be honest with the Lord, to, to, to allow yourself to just say, Lord, if this is a nagging fear of mine, would you take that fear away? Would you allow me to rest in your grace that's sufficient for me? For some of you, maybe if you look back and you just say, I don't really know if I ever really prayed that prayer. I'll just remind you, we don't do a lot of altar calls here, partially because of the fear that we don't want it to just be about a prayer, but an understanding of the truth of the gospel in our lives. And so I want to encourage you to consider the gospel again. Preach the gospel to yourself. And if you've grown comfortable and you've tolerated sin in your life, I think that today's a good day for us to recognize how tied that is together in our understanding of what work he wants to do in our lives. Lord, we love you. And I just pray as we sing this, this powerful song, as we close the service out, would it be the cry of our hearts? Would we worship you in spirit and in truth as we close the service? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.